Excellent. All right, well, I get to preach today, which is, there's a hole in the stage, so that could be fun. The old short person with a music stand joke, wind it down. Uh, So I've had on my heart for a few months to preach about hospitality. So today might feel like a little bit of a practical, how do we live this life with Jesus kind of preach. Um, Because part of being the priesthood of all believers is that hospitality is not just extended by a few people who have been given that job or given that talent. Uh, It's actually a heart attitude that we all live with. 1 Peter 4, 9 and 10 says, Practice hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. So hospitality, I believe, is actually something from heaven. A lot of the things on earth are patterns or reflections of the character of God and the way that he set things up in heaven. And it's God's kingdom. It's just like God, isn't it? To include and to invite and to serve and to bless people. To offer rest and sustenance, send people onward into the rest of their day after they've felt this amazing sense of connection and being loved and being honoured and that feeling of being refreshed and reinvigorated to get on with the rest of their life. So it's just such an incredible opportunity to bless each other. And we're told to practice it. So a practice is something that we do regularly. It's a choice that we make. It's part of the rhythm of our life as Jesus followers. But I've been doing a fair bit of soul searching over the past few weeks, you know, knowing that this was coming up and what I believe about hospitality, what's God saying about hospitality. Um, Because let's make it very clear, we're not speaking about this today because of a lack um, in the body of Christ. The hospitality in our church is beautiful and active and alive. Um, And we're very grateful for that. And actually, lunch today out at Morty's was organised way before anybody knew what I was going to speak about. So God knows. But I grew up with hospitality. My parents were Jesus followers, but they were also farmers. And so there were always people, extra people at the table, at the bench. There were always cups of tea and there was always a tin of homemade biscuits every day. I grew up with homemade biscuits every day. What a privileged position. And I think, you know, the pattern that I received is that I always wanted that. I wanted my home to be like that. Um, When Tim and I got married, I'm married to Tim, by the way, um, that we wanted a place where people would feel welcome. But I've got to be honest, um, it's been a bit more of a struggle in the last few years. And I've had to have a think, think about why that's so. And so I've come up with some of my challenges just to share a little bit of my story, but also so that um, you're encouraged that things don't have to be perfect to offer hospitality. So one of the challenges that I have is that my table is not very Instagrammable. Um, I'm actually not a very good cook (laughs) at all. And it's quite funny because... um, you know, Alpha was looking for volunteers and Mel and Dale were like, Kate, you can cook a meal. I'm like, really, you don't want that. <laughs> and I, we had this little exchange and then Fiona walked up. I'm like, Fiona, please tell them. She's like, yeah, there's issues there. <laughs> um, um, and I have learned 
through MasterChef. I've been watching MasterChef for 10 years and I've learnt to make one dish that's passable. It's risotto. And put your hand up if I've ever made you a risotto. <laughs> Look at those hands. Oh, that's because that's all I can do. Um, and the new parents in the room have received one recently, so they would have been doing that too if they weren't still on maternity leave. So in the past, to overcome this, I've signed up for an app called Dinnerly where they send you ingredients and a recipe to your front door in a box so you can't fail, right? Um, and I really enjoyed it. I loved having Dinnerly. Din Dinnerly, it's hard to say. Um, you know, Marley Spoon, those kinds of things. I really enjoyed it. I felt like it helped me overcome all my obstacles. Um, and it was very good for us as a family in the lockdown of 2020. But as we came out of lockdown, uh, well, first of all, they started sending us a lot of recipes with like buckwheat and pearl barley and various other weird things that my family didn't want to eat. So Tim was like, okay, the first issue is I hate all these weird grains that we're eating. This needs to stop. Um, and the second issue is they portion that stuff in an inch of its life. You get enough for four people and that's all you get. He said, this is not how we live. We don't live where we can't invite at the last minute if we need to and we want to. I think it was just an excuse to get out of the greens. <laughs> yeah. So my second challenge is that despite my animated exterior, I am actually a raging introvert. And the work that I do during the week is very much people-based and there's a lot of talking. I do a lot of talking in the week. Um, and I'm also a mum. So sometimes I get to the end of the day um, and my temperament type needs to retreat. Uh, my family calls it the cone of silence. Um, and it's not something I necessarily choose, but I actually just go into this state where I stop being responsive to conversation uh, because my brain just needs to reset and I can't take in what people are saying to me. Um, and that's part of how God made me. And there's been times in my life where I've been like, why am I like this? I should be more like this. Um, but God has spoken into that a lot of times. He doesn't make junk. He doesn't make our personality and our temperament different to how it should be. Uh, we do have to work out our faith in him and the way he's made us with obedience and with trust um, and take care of the sin issues in our life. But he doesn't make junk. So he knew that he wanted to make me an introvert. And there's been times in this reflecting where I've been like, well, I should have the capacity as a leader of this church to have people over more because that is the desire of my heart, but it's not in the limitations of the other things that God has put in my life at the moment. And the third challenge, can you believe it? There's more. <laughs> so I'm not a very good cook. I'm a bit of an introvert. Um... And my third challenge is I can't actually multitask at all. So I can't think about something and do something else. I can't cook you a meal and greet you and talk to you and make you feel welcome. I've got to do one or the other. You're either going to get food or you're going to get good conversation. You can't have both. So if you come to my house and I welcome you, I will automatically say, would you like a cup of tea? You might say yes, but you probably won't get one because as soon as we start talking, I'll forget to make it. Um, another thing in the past that I've been a little bit embarrassed about. Um, and actually once someone came to our church when we lived in Sydney, a prophet, and spoke into it and he said, God made you the way he did so that you are single-focused and super-productive when he gives you something to do. 
um, and to, to stop worrying about it. So that said, if you come to my house, just make your own cup of tea. People have learnt to do that and I don't mind. <laughs> um, and I, trying to balance all these things about myself with the values that I have, that God offers welcome, that I want to connect with people, that I love people, that he loves people, that we want to get to know each other and hear each other's stories. Um, one of the, the values of this church is that we are multi-generational. Um, we love the fact that we have the whole spectrum of ages in our church and we want to hang out. And sometimes what happens um, is, you know, the young adults are cool so they can all hang out with each other and the old people will never invite them for dinner. Don't be like that. <laughs> invite young parents, invite young adults, invite families with kids, invite retired people. Have this opportunity to hang out with people of all walks of life and see what God has done for them because you will be so encouraged to hear people's stories and hear how they found Jesus and what he's doing in their life right now. It's a beautiful thing and we want to make sure that we preserve that and work really hard on what God has planted in us about that. That was an aside. So even though all of these things are happening, I really love people. So once I invited the Hammonds over and they, you know, there are six of them, but it was after church, so Tim and I go in separate cars and we have, like, instruments and kids' church resources and it's all a little bit chaotic. So all of the Hammonds arrived and I think I'm ready but I'm really not. I don't know what I'm doing and I go into, like, a multitasking shutdown where I don't know how to make the food anymore. <laughs> and so I don't know Mick and Darlene yet and he comes in he's like, can I help? He's actually a chef, so yes, he could. And he just started chopping things and the kids got hungry but they got fed we made coffee and then we got to hear their story and it wasn't perfect. And there was a moment there when I was like, well, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Remind me never to ask a chef for lunch ever again. Um, but if we get hung up on the appearance of hospitality, we miss the value underneath it, which is the welcome um, and another word that we had in the prayer meeting this morning was a reminder of that curtain. Like when Jesus did what he did and God's kingdom came to be part of this earth and that curtain was torn in two, the doors are flung wide open and says everybody's welcome. Um, and we live that kingdom. They are the values that we live with. But they are at odds with some of the values of this world that says things have to look and be presentable and be Instagrammable for them to be worthy. And it can put us into a state of paralysis where that's not me, I don't do that well, so I won't. Um, and we miss out because being with each other is really fun. Um, and it really, it's iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? You know, we hear each other's stories, our faith is ignited, we can pray for each other. And it's a really beautiful thing and God designed it that way. He invented the church to be like that. I said all a whole bunch of stuff that's not on my notes. So now I have to find where I'm up to. Yes. So we've had a lot of words this morning as well about baggage. Sometimes the baggage that we carry is we feel wrong, that there's a lack in us, that we're not good enough or we don't do things the right way or we should, the should word, I should be like this, I should do that. And sometimes when you have a practical message in church about 
an aspect of following Jesus and implementing it into our lives, what we can actually just feel is guilty. Have you ever heard a message on prayer and come away going, oh, yeah, really should pray more? (laughs) I don't want you to hear this message and go, oh, yeah, I should invite people more. I haven't done a very good job of that lately. That's not what today's about. We're actually wanting to set each other free because I feel a little bit set free just even thinking about this stuff in the last few weeks. And you don't realise this but um, I feel I have felt this a lot as a church leader. You know, we um, planted this church with the team um, that was here five years ago um, and our expectation of what God would do, I don't know why I should have had expectations of what God would do. It always says he's going to do more than we can either hope or imagine, but I did um, and I thought it was going to be slow going. I thought I was going to have time to meet people deeply and in a very real way and walk with people very closely and build slowly and that's not what happened. <laughs> it was actually quite overwhelming um, and even now sometimes I turn around and there's still 20 or 30 faces I've never met uh, almost every Sunday and I felt overwhelmed by that. It's like I am never going to get to know all these people. I am never going to be able to have all these people over for dinner. I, I'm not enough. I can't do it. Um, but that's not the values of the kingdom. That's hierarchical thinking, isn't it? Yeah, the leaders do all the inviting and everybody else just sits back and waits till they're invited. And if you don't get invited within a year or, okay, let's be more honest, like three or four years, um, you'll be like, well, they're not very friendly and off you go. <laughs> I'm being a bit over the top and being a bit dramatic, as you can tell. But isn't there some things of the culture of the world that's crept into our understanding of hospitality and generosity, um, where if you're the visitor, you don't invite. Well, that's not what God's kingdom says. God's kingdom says we all practice hospitality. So if you're new here, you don't have to wait to be invited. You invite someone. Find a person who looks like someone you would like to be friends with. Um, Caroline gave me a birthday card um, and the front was, was like, Friendship is really just seeing someone and going, well, they look like fun. Oh, they like to do the things I do. Let's do stuff together. (laughs) It's very simple core. If you feel a connection or an interest in someone's story, that might be a prompting of the Holy Spirit and you can initiate. There's nothing in God's kingdom that says you can't initiate. There's no amount of time where you have to decide that you've been coming to a church before it's now appropriate to invite someone else. So I just want to set you free in that, that connections are very organic um, and they can be led by God, but they can also be led by fun and interest and friendship. Um, I've spoken before about this version of living for Jesus that's this exhausting behaviour modification program where we're just... continually just trying to find those tweaks where it's not quite perfect our expression of living for Jesus and we're trying to continually doing the right thing in our own strength and it's exhausting and I don't want it and I don't want um, hospitality in our church to be one more thing on a list of things that you're supposed to do like make a dentist appointment or clean under the fridge oh yeah I'm supposed to have people for dinner oh and I'm supposed to evangelize Um, that's not how we want to feel about following Jesus because it's values-based, not behaviour-based. It comes from the heart transformation, from the inside out, not from the outside in. And if we're doing it from the outside in, we might be doing it without that deep revelation of love 
and welcome. And so it would, the Bible says, if you're doing things without love, it's actually just really annoying. <laughs> well, to God, it's probably fine for the other person. They get free cake. But it, to God, it's like, well, what are you doing this for? So when I was thinking about all these things, how God made me and some of the struggles that I've had over the years with not feeling like I can do enough, um, I was like, God, really? Is that, is that what you want me to speak about today? Like, couldn't you pick something that I feel like I can speak about with more authority than one of the things that I struggle with the most? Um, I'm going to feel like a big phony standing up here talking about hospitality in front of people who, A, have either experienced my hospitality or, B, who haven't received an invitation yet after a couple of years and or, C, have just heard how my levels of hospitality are and actually don't want to be invited <laughs> ever again. It's kind of, it puts me in a vulnerable position, really. <laughs> um, but I do want to share with how God set me free from that and the revelation that I've had um, is that we are the priesthood and hospitality is for everyone. One of the most influential preachers Tim ever heard was about hospitality. Has anyone ever heard a preach about practical hospitality before? couple a couple it's not common um and maybe that's why it was um, influential for Tim but I wasn't with him but he always talked about it and it was very simple um but basically she said for goodness sake go home open a tin of soup and just be together stop taking stop making it complicated um so because of the kingdom of the world that we have which is appearance-based and competitive That's just the world that we live in. Um, It's really easy for us to fall into that when it comes to hosting people um, and to be a bit paralysed by it. You know, in the ancient world, so when we look at the Old Testament, um, hospitality was offered um, because it was life-saving. You know, if you're wandering through the desert, you need um, a reliable and available supply of water. You need shelter, you need shade from the sun, Um, you need protection from bandits and a bigger group to protect you should someone want to raid your party and your worldly goods. And a meal that someone else prepared because you're travelling and so you can't do cooked meats very easily. You can't do cooked bread very easily. So things that people could do for you because you couldn't do it because you were travelling meant that when someone offered you hospitality... It was just like, um, you know, it was finding an oasis in the desert, literally. It was life and death sometimes. And it was this break from the daily anxieties of survival, uh, if that's the life that you're living, through the desert on foot. I was thinking about this, but what about now? So if back then uh, offering someone hospitality was like respite for their soul, what would be the equivalent in modern Australia? of someone offering you respite for your soul. Now, we have an abundance of food here in Australia, let's be honest. So it's not really about the food, is it? Um, The things that are our daily struggle in modern Australia, if you look at the statistics, it's loneliness, disconnection and hopelessness. So what can we offer one another that is the antidote to those things? None of those things involve food. All of those things involve people and connection. You know, I was um, with one of my girls, and I actually can't remember which one it was, this week. And they're like, you know, Mum, I'm never going to be able to afford a house. I'm like, 
really? Well, this is long-term thinking, but also why not? Um, um, I said, where did, where did you hear that? Oh, all the election ad campaigns. <laughs> Can you think about the rhetoric and the narrative our society is putting on us at the moment? And we know that there's truth to some of those things. Um, that there's not enough. That we won't have enough. Um, And that's the opposite of God's kingdom, isn't it? So that feeling of lack um, and panic. I don't have enough friends. I'm not worthy enough for people to make contact with me. Um, It's always going to be like this, that hopelessness. That is the voices of this world. So while we practice hospitality, it doesn't have to be food-based. There's so many creative ways to do it. Um, You know, I remember being a youth leader in Launceston and once I was doing errands, like literally going to the bank, going to the post office, and I ran into some teenagers and they're like, yay, Kate. I'm like, hi, guys, I'm just doing some errands. They're like, can we hang with you? I'm like, I'm going to the bank. Great, let's do errands with Kate. And they just followed me around to the bank and the post office. Um, And I actually was shocked as an adult by how excited they were about doing errands. Um, Because it's not really about what you do. It's about how you make people feel when they're with you. Um, So come and watch the football with me. Come for a drive. I'm going to pick up something I bought on Marketplace. It's in Devonport. Come for a drive with me. Um, There's so many creative ways to do it. So if the... (laughs) Or Hewenville, as... Johan likes to go to Hewenville to pick up old computers. If anyone wants to go with Johan for a drive, he does it all the time. <laughs> just, I've just volunteered you some hospitality. <laughs> He's also an introvert. Don't go with him. <laughs> but I love how that verse we read at the start was, according to the gifts that God's given you. What, what, what is in your hand? It doesn't have to look like Instagram. It doesn't have to look like a restaurant. It just has to be a genuine desire to connect with each other. And for those of you who are students or you are living at home um, or you have a lot of housemates, that can be hard to invite knowing that that's going to affect the people at home. So you have to get even more creative sometimes. And if you're students, you have to get even more creative again because you don't have buckets of money to go to cafes all the time. Um, And to realise and to be set free from the fact that we go through life seasons So there's a season when you're studying. There's a season when you're dating. There's a season if you're new parents. There's a season when you're newly retired. Um, There's full-time work. There's part-time work. There's shift work. There are so many different ways that we live in a whole lifetime at different times. And it's not always going to look the same. Um, And I remember a few months ago, um, one of my friends from Sydney contacted me just out of the blue and said... Now I've got kids. Remember all those times when we had cups of tea while your baby was sleeping? She's like, I know now that you just gave me the one hour of your day (laughs) where you weren't attending to the kids. Um, So when I was a stay-at-home mum, I would put the kids to bed and they'd sleep for an hour and a half or so and I would invite the uni students over to have a cup of tea. Now while we were doing that, they were sitting on a very uncomfortable wicker stool that I'd bought from Marketplace for 10 bucks that wobbled a bit. And I would forget to make them a cup of tea and I would also be doing the washing up, all those tiny little plastic things that you have to wash up when you have kids. But we'd be chatting and it was the one hour and it blessed me just as much as them. But I was so touched actually that she remembered um, and realised that 
that that time was precious and we had it. Um, but it was all I had to give. So be encouraged that even if your season changes, there's a new and creative way for you to connect with people. Um, so our view of hospitality becomes far too narrow sometimes. We don't have to do big dinner parties. Although if any of you do, because you love food and you love cooking for people, uh, feel free to invite me because <laughs> I love eating. I just don't... I, yeah, you can go to Alpha because not the night that I'm cooking, obviously, but any of the others are fine. <laughs> and for those of you who have that gift, it brings you great joy, I know, to see people enjoy your food. If you've ever tried Dalsu's Korean fried chicken, very good. Very good. All the, all the people are like, mm, yeah, we have. It's good. <laughs> Um, so while hospitality is the practice, what I realise is it's underpinned by a value. And the value is not the action, the value is generosity. Um, so I'm actually really more talking about generosity today. Don't worry, I'll be quick. I'm a fast talker. But when we think about the character of God and who God is, this is how he set the world up in Genesis 1, 28 to 31. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God says, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit and seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all he made and it was very good. It was evening and morning the sixth day. There was always an abundance designed, built in to the world. There was life, abundance, enough for everyone. That is the pattern of God's kingdom that he set up from the very beginning. But as well as an abundance of actual things, physical things, if you look next in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, it says, By the seventh day God finished the work he'd been doing, and on the seventh day he rested from his work. God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because he rested from the work of creating that he had done. So God also has an abundance of time. There's enough. And that's the opposite of what our world tells us. The world tells us there's never enough time. And sometimes that's how I've felt. You know, I'm a working mum. Sometimes I feel like I don't have enough time to offer generosity and hospitality to all the people that I would like to. But that is the narrative of this world. It's the narrative of lack. In God's kingdom, there's always enough because we don't have to do it all because we're the priesthood. It's not on any one person's shoulders. We carry this together by doing what God's graced us to with the talents that he's given us. So I'm going to go through some more places in the Bible as well because God likes to reveal himself over time. So this is the pattern that he set up in the beginning, but then he reveals more of it as he goes through. Um, so the story of Abraham um, in Genesis chapter 18 uh, where some heavenly visitors come to him. Oh, I missed one. That's okay. I'm going to keep rolling. Some visitors come to him. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I found favour in your eyes, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and you may wash your feet, rest under this tree. 
Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and go on your way. Now you've come to your servant. Oh, very well, they said. Do all that. That'd be great. (laughs) That's not what the Bible says. I just said that. Um, So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, quick, get three sears of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Now we just cruise over this a little bit because we don't know the words um, and I'm not entirely sure that I'm accurate. But I have heard it said um, that that much flour, three sears or whatever, was enough for 60 loaves of bread for a couple of people. This exceeding generosity. And we know that Abraham was a guy, but have you ever wondered why he picked, God picked him? It's like perhaps his value of over-generosity to people um, without conditions. These were strangers. He didn't know them. It's like they're here. So many loaves of bread to show you honour. What do we do with all this bread? Um, And then it reveals more of his character in Exodus. So when they're in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Then we sat around pots of meat, we ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out to this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Can you hear the narrative of lack? There's not enough. It was better before. We should have more. But verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Go out each day and gather gather enough for that day. And if you know the rest of the story, um, on the day before the Sabbath, they were allowed to gather double and it was okay. They got a day off because they'd already collected it. But if they tried to gather ahead and gather too much, it would spoil. And God was trying to teach them about his character. There is enough for this day. You don't have to overproduce. You don't have to worry. You don't have to strive. He provides enough for this day. And then we come to Jesus. I wonder if you know what story we're going to talk about. (laughs) The Chosen um, film crew were actually filming this scene this week, so it was quite fun to watch the the behind-the-scenes photos. Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, it's already getting late. Send them away so they can go to villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away, you give them something to eat. We've only got five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. The narrative of lack. We don't have enough. But bring them here to me, he said. He directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And 12 is a special number in the Bible. It's 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples. It's like Jesus saying, I know you think there's not enough. But bring what you've got to me. I'm the source. There's always going to be enough in my kingdom. We need to live with the values of his kingdom and have that faith in him. And he did it. Enough for everybody. And then leftovers for each person to show that there was more than enough. Um, And I don't know if you know this, but after that, there was also a feeding of the 4,000 a separate time. Um, And it wasn't for the Jewish people. He'd gone over to the other side 
of the lake, the Decapolis, the ten towns, which were Gentiles, so non-Jewish people. Um, And he was teaching them again in Mark chapter 8. Another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I've got compassion for these people. They've been with me three days, have had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. But his disciple answers, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? There's not enough. How many do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves and given thanks. He broke them, gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Seven is also a biblical number. It's supposed to mean completion. Um, If you look at the promises that God gave Abraham back at the beginning, I will bless the whole world through your family. And then you look at the fact that Jesus was here and his kingdom had finally come. He goes over to the other side to the unclean people. And teaches them for three days. And they're so hungry to hear it, they never leave. And then he feeds them and there's seven baskets left over. Not just enough for the Jews was there. There was enough for all people. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation and more left over. That he's trying to show us in his kingdom there's always enough. Um, And if we've got stuck with some of that worldly thinking that says we're not enough, we don't have enough, there's not enough time... Uh, We just really want to be set free from that to just enjoy the goodness of God and enjoy the fact that in his kingdom there is always enough. Um, And I really, uh, I I guess I just want to share, you might have heard some of the story that Tim and I have had before about our home because I know that housing is a a sore point right now. Um, But just be encouraged. We've only just... In the last few years, got our first house ever, even though we're middle-aged, which is... We're middle-aged. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a revelation to have on a stage in front of all these people. I am middle-aged. Um, I was talking about a friend the other day and that someone didn't know, and I'm like, you know, they're our age. And then Tim was like, no, they're not. They're 10 years younger than you. And I was like, oh, time flies. Um, But sometimes in that journey, it was like, what did we do wrong? It's like, why haven't we been able to save? What decisions have we made wrong? The not enough um, conversation came in. And if you've heard the story, I'll summarise really quickly, um, that we were given a a deposit for a house um, that someone felt that God had prompted them to give. It was just a beautiful Holy Spirit moment. It was hard to accept at the time, in a way, Um, but with our kids, we sat down and we were like, okay, what would God's done this for us. What would you like in a house? Um, and so Georgie says a fence because if you know anything about Georgie, the desire of her heart for her whole childhood was to have a dog. Um, and she knew that without a fence we wouldn't get a dog. So she said a fence. Um, I said a pantry because I'm very practical. Um, and Tim said a wood fire and a spa bath. <laughs> Um, And Arielle, who was five, said a swimming pool, please. Um, So you put these things on the list 
as adults and go swimming pool in Launceston? Really? Okay. <laughs> Let's just see what God does. Um, and, you know, we did manage to get um, a little house in Youngtown that suited us, but it wasn't until two weeks later when we moved in that we went, hang on a second. There's a fence. There's a pantry. There's a wood fire. There's a spa bath. And there's a swimming pool. It had everything on the list. Now, we know as adults that's not what we needed necessarily, but that is the heart and the character of God. He had great fun with the generosity of the over and abundance for a five-year-old girl who thought it would be fun to have a swimming pool in the backyard. And look, it was built in 1974, but it's solid. It's solid. And the delight of that is that... You know, sometimes people just turn up and let themselves in the backyard and swim in our pool. And I love that. I really love that. I won't make you a cup of tea, but you can do that. (laughs) Um, Because Jesus just didn't have enough for his special family. His heart was there's enough for the whole world. There's enough for every person. Um, And we want to live in that place with him where we get rid of all this stuff the world puts on us about appearance and it being perfect and just open up our doors and open up our hearts and say, come as you are, this is me, this is you, Um, but in God's kingdom there's enough for everybody. Um, You're welcome and I don't have to be perfect. So part of that word that maybe Christy had this morning um, about bringing your baggage in is that first of all it's okay to come to church with baggage We're kidding ourselves if we think we don't carry around baggage. From the world that we live in, the families that we grew up in, the the relationships and the the thoughts that come into our head and get stuck, um, we all have those things. And it's God's desire that we lay those down and pick up the ways of the kingdom. Because in the kingdom, there's more than enough. He's a generous father. um, And it's an adventurous, fun, life-giving life that we can live with Jesus. Um, And the world that says it's going to be tough and there's not enough and it's struggle street doesn't necessarily mean that those voices come from God. It doesn't mean we pretend when things aren't going well, but it does mean that the kingdom that we live in is different. It's very different. I don't know what else I was going to say. I actually think that's it. (laughs) Hang on. Yep, actually, that's it. (laughs) I'm really good at finishing sermons. (laughs) Really not. But, um, I don't know, do you want to get again? Maybe. Um, I do think, though, that if you can sense in your heart that there is an attitude of not enough, I'm not enough, or... I don't have enough or God is not enough to overcome this in my life, that he really does want want to set us free from that. Um, And especially, I think, some of the baggage that we've carried from a pandemic, maybe, that we can't be together or we can't invite. If there's any hesitation um, about offering hospitality to others, um, that we start to put that before God too and and be encouraged that he's going to work his way out of that. Um, that we can live the full life that he's called us to as well. Um, so if you do want prayer, just indicate the people around you where the priesthood, so 
or you can pray with the people that you came with or the people around you, or you can come down the front here and ask for prayer from, um, from any one of us. Um, we would love to do that because he is, he is enough and it's freeing to live that way.